DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and The Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Omar, thank you so much once again for joining me. It's great to be back, Chris. Chapter 11 addresses an issue that, would you say, all adult Catholics should have a firm grasp of, a firm understanding of the promotion of peace. Yes, and uh, to be honest, when I approached this chapter, I was kind of confused about how it would fit with some of the other chapters. We had been talking in the first part, you know, about general things about principles and, and ideas and some of the history of Catholic social teaching. And in this part two, we've been looking at very specific areas in which we, we live it out. So, uh, you know, way back, we were talking about the, the family and labor and the economics and the political sphere and the international sphere. Uh, last time we talked about the environment. And this chapter is called The Promotion of Peace. And uh, it doesn't necessarily kind of fit into a certain area of my life um, when I think about it. But as I began to read the chapter, I, I realized, I came to understanding about how central and important the promotion of peace is for living the Christian life. Now, as in the previous chapters, you know, we start with the bi- biblical aspect. And the compendium is really very clear that this is not something we can sort of just take lightly. I mean, we might we might be you know, tempt, tempted to believe it, it's um, kind of the... 60s, um, you know, everything's about peace and love and, and um, kind of a wishy-washy kumbaya type stuff. But this, mm-hmm. is, this is not the case here. Uh, the opening uh, paragraphs talk about um, uh, peace being sort of integral to who we are as, as Christians, as, as God's people. Uh, the compendium says, before being God's gift to man and a human project in conformity with the divine plan, peace is in the first place a basic attribute of God. The Lord is peace. And it's, there it's quoting from uh, the book of Judges. In other words, God is peace himself. Uh, elsewhere, uh, the compendium says that you, we can't believe that we have a, a closeness with God if we also have a closeness with violence or, or hatred or anger. In other words, God and peace come hand in hand. And peace is more than just an absence of war. It represents a fullness of life. And, and as Catholics, when we, we think about the common good, we talked about before, Chris, and we think about what we're called to do as, as Christians, if we're called to a, the life of a saint, the fullness of life, then peace has to be a part of that. I mean, that's one of the sort of things we recognize in, in the life of a saint is they, they are somebody who has peace in their life, or somebody who, who recognizes the, the proper balance of things in the world, and from that they have peace, but it's rooted in their relationship with God. So a peace from the very beginning we can see is, is very much a part of who we are, as the people of God, and of course, when we get to the time of Jesus, he, he is called, the Messiah is called the Prince of Peace. The promise of peace that runs through the entire Old Testament finds fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Uh, it says uh, the compendium, Jesus is our peace, quoting from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So again, time and time again, this is not just something we can 
we can ignore or consider sort of a periphery to our faith, the promotion of peace, the work towards peace, is something that ought to be integral to our lives as adult Catholics. It's something that we should consider. And in the, the degree to which we're not considering peace, or in those aspects of our lives where there isn't peace, those, are, those are, ought to be clues to us that we should be working towards that or focusing on that so that we can better advance the kingdom with regard to the promotion of peace in our lives. When there's a failure of peace, there's war. And that failure has been a part of the human condition since, can we say, since we began to interact with each other. Right, yeah, since Cain Cain and Abel. I mean, that's where it it goes back all the way to there. Sadly, it's part of of who we are. It's not part of the original plan. I think when we when we look at that that question about the failure of peace being war and the, the and the violence that exists, we recognize that at our very uh, roots of ourselves we have this disorder, and that the answer to that is is uh, is Christ Jesus. I mean that's I think part of the maybe the larger point of this chapter is we can focus on any number of various things in in terms of, of the question of peace, and we'll talk about war and violence and and terrorism and other things. But at the end of the day, all this sort of comes down to the question of peace in Christ Jesus, uh, who is our peace. When we, when we, and Pope Benedict writes about this in Jesus of Nazareth, when we talk about the kingdom of God, right, this peaceful kingdom we're hopefully all working towards, Pope Benedict pointed out that um, Jesus is the kingdom of God. And the, the kingdom of God is not just some sort of ethereal place, it's a person. It's an event, it's an encounter with this person. And so encountering Jesus is going to give us that peace and be, because it is so fundamental to our nature, sadly, this that proclivity, this tendency towards violence, is that much more important then that we turn to Jesus because Jesus is our Savior. He's the one who's going to be able to um, get us beyond ourselves uh, and, and beyond the, the, our failings that end up harming peace. It's even it's interesting even when when you know the the apostles first asked Jesus about how to pray, Jesus points out that when you know, when praying to the Father, part of that prayer ought to be. Uh, the, the prayer for peace. Forgive us our, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's a prayer for peace. We pray that every single time we pray the Our Father. So this reality that we're dealing with, this, uh, this, this sad truth about our, our sin, is something that we have to confront not merely as a matter of function or, or public policy or systematic form, but as a, as a, a fundamental spiritual problem. The answer to which is, is always going to be, as a lot of these questions of social teaching ultimately are, the answer is going to be Jesus, getting closer to him, getting close to reconciling our relationship with the Father. I think it's extraordinarily important to have the proper paradigm in which to look at certain things. That can be the difference between, for example, the freedom to do certain things and the freedom from certain things. I mean, just as an example of how we look at a certain issue. I know, uh, yeah, absolutely. The as we had spoken before, uh, oftentimes we we look at freedom as something as a, a, a simply a matter of of freedom from the expectations of other people. But 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 really, freedom properly understood is the freedom to pursue the good, the goods in our lives. And so, authentic freedom, therefore, is the ability to pursue peace, to to preach the gospel of peace. And and interestingly, that the compendium makes this point with regard to to freedom and, and what we're to be pursuing is that uh, peace is the the fruit of of justice and love, and, and and actually, it makes a finer point, which is that it's it's more than a matter of justice. It, it's it's more a matter of, of love than it is of justice, because justice is just a gateway to uh to achieving 
the, the civilization of love from which peace comes. That's one of the aspects, I think, of this kind of social teaching that I think is really very important, especially for those who scratch their heads or, or find problems or struggle with the um, some like who make peace into some sort of byproduct of social justice. The compendium itself says that while justice certainly is a part of it, because the, the compendium is going to argue, and this makes a certain amount of sense, right, that sometimes the violence or the lack of, of peace comes from the lack of justice. We think of any number of occasions in, in our own history as, as, as Americans. We think of the riots that occurred during the civil rights movement, those, those horrible images of the violence being done against African Americans here, uh, that those things sort of uh, arise out of the lack of justice, the, the anger sometimes that, and, and the righteous anger that would uh, come out uh, from the African American community because of the way they were treated was a direct result of a lack of justice. And so if we, if we were to focus in on that justice, we would be able to achieve some sort of, of peace. But, but as I think our experience also tells us, that it's not merely a matter of justice. We can provide the justice to the African-American community that is now allowed to vote and is now allowed to own property and is free from slavery, etc. But if there's a lack of love in our society for all, then as a result, therefore, we will never find the peace that, that we want. And I think it's, it's true today, sadly, that we don't have that peace. Some of the most violent areas in our country, sadly, are within African-American communities because the, the, the love that our nation, our society, ought to have for the African-American community isn't there. So it's never just a matter of justice. It must be a matter of love. And that love, again, always has to be rooted in a relationship with God because only he's the one who's able to, to provide it for. In another way of looking at this, Omar, can you say that the social doctrine of the church doesn't necessarily say that war is wrong, but it does encourage us to defend peace? Yes, absolutely. It's, the, it's interesting that the, the social teaching is very clear about the disaster that war is, the tragedy that war is, and it's interesting even that the, the, the language that's used in the compendium says that the magisterium asks that we consider war in a new way. In other words, that war is always bad. That's part of the sad history of the church is that um, at times that we, we accepted war. There are members of the church, even some popes, who engaged in war and in violence, uh, sometimes even, again, sadly, uh, as, as a, an aggressive matter, not merely in self-defense. But despite the fact that it, there has been war in the past, and despite the fact that the war is considered a, a failure whenever it occurs, it is always a failure of any kind of true humanism, it's always a defeat for humanity, to quote John Paul II, and we should always seek to re resolve it, there are certain situations that allow for war. And this, again, is one of those areas where, again, for those who perhaps are in a kind of... Um, social justice sort of uh, a group, one of the things I encounter oftentimes in my work are those who are, are insistent that any kind of violence is always uh, to be condemned and that a, a kind of pacifism is the true Christian position. Well, that's not the teaching of the magisterium. Uh, the magisterium is, is very clear here that there are situations in which uh, we can engage in war. And, and in this sense, the, the language of the, of the compendium is really lovely because it's talking about not so much defending our rights or paying back uh, wrongs, but rather defending peace. In other words, engaging in self-defensive uh, acts so that we may, may maintain and withhold the peace that we enjoy here in our country uh, or, or wherever you are. So, yeah, the Compendium makes the distinction between the condemnation of war, but also the, 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 the right of individuals to defend themselves. 
What is the church's position in regards to the activities of the United Nations, Omar? Well, the the church appreciates and supports the the work of the United Nations in this regard because the the idea is that the the role of the United Nations is to be able to be an impartial arbiter between nations that may be tempted to go to war with each other. The, The compendium is very clear about attempting to avoid war in all situations as much as possible and to do so through negotiation. And sometimes uh, those negotiations can only happen through some third party. Well, the United Nations is is a good body by which to create uh, some kind of third party who can come in and therefore address the the needs of the two parties and try to get everybody to sort of see uh, each other um, uh, as as partners. The United Nations also is able to send, and Penny mentions this, peacekeeping forces, they call them, into areas where, where there might be some violence. This is one of the interesting aspects of Catholic social teaching that I think we will see more development of in, in the near future, and that is the, the role of the international community in trying to defend uh, minority groups in various countries, um, those particularly who are suffering under threats of genocide or attack. The fact of the matter is uh, that uh, we can't simply stand by and watch a number of people being slaughtered. We think of the horrors that happened in Rwanda. Uh, the international community has a moral obligation to step in to try to end that kind of violence, and the compendium specifically states that the argument for national sovereignty, um, that um, this is our country and you can just leave us alone, you ought to leave us alone as we deal with our own interior problems, the compendium rejects that argument. National sovereignty does not justify or does not free um, a company of states, rather, and governments to to kill its own people indiscriminately. Uh, So again, with the situation in Syria, is happening right now while we're recording, or in the past with Rwanda and other places around the world, we, we even think, let's say, about the Ukraine, which is uh, right now, as we're recording this, suffering under uh, the impositions of, of Russia. Again, the international community has a moral obligation to be involved to some degree. Now, again, the compendium says, you know, violence is always a last resort, and we always want to sort of uh, keep that uh, uh, away from us. But there are other means, like uh, economic sanctions, the compendium mentions, or or other ways that we can try to bring attention to those sorts of situations in order to protect the innocent, because that's that's a moral obligation. And again, this goes to, at least from my perspective, those who argue that pacifism is the only way that Christianity can go forward. There, There is even, for instance, a, a theological theory within certain social justice circles. Um, the theory is called the myth of redemptive violence, which some listeners may have heard of or be familiar with, but that uh, theological theory is really quite popular in certain circles and would argue that uh, violence is always to be rejected. But this is, it goes counter to the Catholic Church's teaching, counter to the social doctrine of the Church, because the social doctrine teaches us that we have a moral obligation to help the innocent, to stand in defense of them. And if in defense of them we engage in some defensive violence right, to, to, to protect the peace, well then so be it. That's allowable. That's moral. And so that those arguments that cry for the sort of Christian pacifism uh, simply ring, ring hollow when we're faced with trying to support the innocent. I mean, we, we think, for instance, of, of what happened to the, to the Jews during the Holocaust. And we, and we say to ourselves today, you know, never again. We never again should that happen. Well, then let's make sure that never happens again by stepping in those situations where, where we see that. And, and sadly, I, I think in the name of, I don't know, multiculturalism or, or a kind of false peace, we ignore that. And we allow nations like North Korea to horribly, horribly treat their own people and to have death camps all over again. 
We'll return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The Memorari Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez. You mentioned sanctions. Is there a type of ladder, per se, of response that the church would encourage those to consider who are in positions, leadership? Yeah, the paragraph 507 in the Compendium talks about sanctions in some detail, uh, which was kind of surprising to me. But they say it's a, it's a, a better way to address the questions of violence and, and oppression around the world. Um, but it's also very clear that uh, sanctions should be clearly defined and have to have a clear objective, I mean, like any sort of involvement um, in, these, in these situations. The, the danger with economic sanctions is that the, the people, the average person who may have uh, no involvement in the actions of their government, often end up becoming the victims of economic sanctions. Um, so when we engage in those kind of sanctions, we need to make sure that we, we do so in a way that it truly tries to meet the end we're trying to achieve in as quickly and as cleanly a manner as possible. Now, oftentimes, actually, sort of the, the piecemeal sanctions uh, that are put in place, uh, which um, bother the heads of the state only very little but end up hurting the, the very poor, are the worst thing to do. Uh, 
um, because you're only hurting the poor in those countries. Uh, you're not making the, the leaders uh, really cons reconsider their positions anyway. So the sanctions in a certain way should be used very precisely uh, and in a certain way very forcefully so that we can get to the, the objective as, as soon as is humanly possible so that we don't hurt the, the poor indiscriminately. The issue of disarmament, but the compendium specifically mentions that as well. Yeah, the disarmament uh, question is, is an interesting one because I think it involves uh, two truths, two realities that we have to keep in mind at the same time. The first of them is the, the question of the disarmament about nuclear weapons and that nuclear weapons, uh, weapons of mass destruction, um, should be uh, eliminated. And the, the church's teaching of that is really very, very clear. There is no legitimate use in, in, in war for nuclear weapons. As much as people have tried to argue that the new forms of nuclear weapons are more precise and, and can be uh, used uh, so that they're, they're not quite as indiscriminate, Really, the military experts say that as much as we try to limit the effect of a nuclear weapon, that you still have to deal with the radiation which lasts there for centuries. So there really is no legitimate use of, of nuclear weapons, um, but we have them. So while we recognize that there is no legitimate use and they should be eliminated, we have them, and other nations have them, and other nations who perhaps don't have the respect for human dignity or, or have a much of the buy-in in the United Nations uh, don't have the same cultural respect for individual persons, uh, they have them too. So now how do we deal with the reality of the fact that we have them? Uh, and what the church says is that what we need to do is we need to, to negotiate or, or work multilaterally with these other nations in order to work towards disarmament. In other words, the church is very clear that a kind of unilateral disarmament is not morally obligatory. We don't have to, as the United Nations, get rid of all our nuclear weapons tomorrow in order to fulfill our moral obligations. And the reason we don't have to do that is because there is this question of defense, right? These other nations that exist who uh, perhaps don't like us very much, who don't care for us, they have them, and they're not going to get rid of them. And if we did unilaterally, then that would put our own citizens in a very precarious situation. So the, the church recognizes that reality. If you look to the words of, of John Twenty-Third and John Paul II, again, here in the, in the compendium in paragraph uh, 508 and 509, we see that there, there is this sense that the, uh, disarmament must be based on dialogue and multilateral negotiations with other nations. And that's the context for this discussion. While, again, I, I fully recognize and our good friend Dorothy Day, whom we love so very much, was, was absolutely against nuclear weapons, and we shouldn't ignore that fact. There is still the reality that they exist. We ought not, we're not obliged to get rid of them unilaterally. We should be working with other nations to do that. And if they're not going to get rid of them, then we're not obliged to do it just by ourselves. If I could provocatively contradict those who would say God does not take sides <laughs> in, in, in wars, I would say he does. He takes the side of the just. He takes the side of those who are merciful and are seeking forgiveness. He does take the side of those who act in virtue. And, and that's... In that war, that's what he's trying to inspire us to do, is it not? That's exactly right. And that, that's, I'm, I'm very glad, I think that's very well put. Uh, God is invested. This is one of the great messages, I think, of, of Catholic social teaching. And it was one of the arguments against the church in the 1800s, by the way. In the 1800s, the, sort of the, the enlightened, the intelligentsia uh, felt that even if one could argue that some of the aspects of the church were true, ultimately the church is irrelevant. Because it has nothing to say to us today. 
And there was an effort in the late 1800s and early 1900s to try to address that. Certainly Pope Leo XIII did a, did a lot to, to, uh, to, to show that that's not the case. But others, uh, great theologians in the last century, made um, a headway, I think, and, and, and made a point of trying to argue. Indeed, actually, one could argue this is part of the, 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 the message of the Second Vatican Council. Uh, the church really is invested uh, in, uh, in where we're at because God is invested in what's going on in this world because God does take sides, maybe not with nations, uh, maybe not with leaders, but certainly with the justice, as you say, with those who are trying to work for peace, with individuals. He certainly takes sides, and, be, and, and he takes sides because of his love and care for us, because of his desire to, to uh, create and maintain the peace on this earth that he wants us to have. Because when, when, uh, when there isn't peace, we cannot be close to him. And ultimately, that's what he desires, for us to be close to him. And so um, it, would, it, would, it would be nonsensical in our own Catholic theology to say that God doesn't care, that he doesn't take sides, that he's not involved in the um, sort of international and personal, interpersonal interactions we have. I always thought that, that one of the most absurd songs that became so very popular was one that was sung, and it was God is watching us from a distance. <laughs> no, he's not. I mean, he's right here in the midst of it all. He's not watching us from a distance, is he, Omar? Not at all. Uh, he's watching us. He's, he's, he's very close to us in every moment. Uh, oftentimes, although we cannot always see it, he's often closest to us when we're suffering, when we're in the midst of the violence, when we're in the midst of the of suffering from violence, he's he's there closest with us because that and that's the message of the cross, right? That's where where Jesus is, as as he suffered at the hands of violence, of a violent culture and a violent peoples. He is very much close to us, and if we should begin to forget that, then we begin to forget our own identity. I think as Christians and the necessity of bringing peace into our lives. This is why Pope Paul VI, I think, instituted the the World Days. Uh, of peace, this this idea that the, you know the Pope is going to address these questions of of peace for the world because this is an important aspect for us to remember, uh, to remind us always that God, Jesus, is always there with us, no matter what, uh, even in the midst and sometimes because of the suffering that we suffer because of a lack of peace. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. I think that role model of the angels for mm. men and women today and how they are protecting and trying to bring that message of God's love and mercy to those who have open ears and open hearts to hear it. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm, um, on a personal note, I, I bless my children every night with that prayer because it is very powerful and because it is a reminder to us that um, we can't stay passive in this effort to promote peace and this effort to to promote peace in our own lives. And I, I think maybe, uh, you know, in this conversation we've had, we've focused a lot on international issues, understandably, because that's where the compendium is. But as I think you're pointing out, you know, this, this work for peace, the promotion of peace is, is a very personal one and one we can engage in every single day. Because every moment we harbor the anger and hatred toward our neighbor, toward the, the person who produced an injustice in our lives, for um, the anger towards a spouse or anger towards children, um, uh, we foster wounds that have uh, uh, occurred to us in our past against maybe perhaps our own parents, wherever it might be. And insofar as we've, we've done that in our own lives, very personally, we've, we've begun to fail in the promotion of peace. And so in a very concrete way then for those listeners who, who are thinking, well, how is this 
how is this teaching the compendium affect me in my everyday life? Um, you can become promoters of peace today by trying to heal those wounds, reconciling with those that are estranged uh, in your life, uh, being examples of peace for your children, apologizing to your children, right? When you uh, fail, uh, <laughs> fail to maintain peace in the household, and pray this prayer, pray the St. Michael prayer uh, as a concrete way of trying to bring about uh, peace in your life and the peace in the life of your family and friends. I will never forget a moment I would never have thought I would see with my own eyes in my lifetime, but that time at the funeral of St. John Paul II, when leaders from so many nations, if not all the nations of the earth, gathered around in the arms of that piazza at St. Mm-hmm. Peter's. I think all of us can sort of relate to your, to your, your example there at the funeral mass of Pope uh, John Paul II. And that's the effect of the Eucharist. It's also the effect of the life of a saint who brings the Eucharist out into reality. This is part of the teaching of the Second Vatican Council, that the, the Mass is the Mass, and, and the life of the saint, the life of the Christian, is to bring the peace of the Mass, of the Eucharist, out into the world, so the world can be transformed. This is why we're sent out, because we, we want to bring that peace that's found in the Eucharist out into the world, that again, it's a very practical sort of thing for us to think about and pray on uh, as we go forward. How am I bringing the peace that's in the Mass uh, out uh, into my life, into the workplace, into my home, into my relationships? And um, we can think of violence in a number of various ways, but they include not just anger, or yelling, or hatred, or physical violence, but also things like detraction and gossip and calumny and, uh, and other things and lying. Where in my life am I undercutting the project of peace? Uh, and how can I be a, an instrument for the peace? Uh, but let's try to, to think where we can bring peace to our own lives and do so uh, from the heart of our prayer life. Thank you so much, Omar. My pleasure. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, We hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.